Hello and welcome to another episode of Philip Does Movies. Episode number two. Episode number two. Thank you for joining us. I am, as always, your gracious host, Philip, and that is my co-host, Rochelle. Today we are going to be reviewing I'll Be Home for Christmas, the 1998 classic with one Jonathan Taylor Thomas and Jessica Biel. Uh, for those of you who have not seen this movie, we will give a quick summary, but as always, I would highly suggest going and watching the movie first. It makes for a much more enjoyable podcast. So without further ado, we will go over the summary of this movie. Essentially, it is a college student named Jake, played by Jonathan Taylor Thomas, who tries to get out of going home for Christmas to spend it with his girlfriend in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico. But his dad, in an effort to get him to come home, bribes him by saying he'll give him his Porsche if Jake makes it home by dinner on Christmas Eve. Through a series of mishaps and antics, he has to find his way across the country from Southern California to New York, while his girlfriend simultaneously catches a ride from another student who is trying to put the moves on her the entire way. Jake meets interesting characters along the way, eventually catches up with his girlfriend, learns a bunch of lessons all throughout his travels. Eventually he makes it home, but purposely misses the deadline by several minutes to show that he is a changed man, but his dad ends up giving him the car anyway. So that is the summary. So I want to start off with your take on this, Rochelle. What was, what was your overall feeling of this movie. I'm sure you've seen this movie a bunch of times. This movie is fire. I love this movie. Now, I learned earlier that according to IMDb, this movie was a complete flop. So they spent like $60 million producing it, wow. which is a lot. It's a big budget. For 1998, that's a lot of money. <laughs> for, for a Christmas movie. And then it hits the box office. It was a total bomb. It only made like half of the production cost back. But just because this movie was not a financial success, I just got to say, it is amazing. The dialogue is so great. Oh, the costumes bring it back to 1998. We'll talk, to, we'll talk about that later. Um, just, this movie is amazing. I'm, it's just he, so great. It is. I do actually enjoy this movie. When I watched it this round, uh, in, in thinking about how I would actually review it, I took a little bit more critical approach. Surprise to all of our listeners uh, that I would be um, I'm going to be exceptionally brutally honest about this one, but I, I did honestly have difficulty finding things that I didn't like about this movie because it, the, I think the issue is being from the, even the late nineties, there are so many nineties tropes in here. Just oh, so, so many good. things so good. that are, but, and they would only be able to exist. We'll get into that, but they would only be able to exist in a 1998 movie or or oh, for sure. Like the the part where they stuff the kid in the locker and he's like giving the locker code, which I think is definitely an ode to like Saved by the Bell and things like that. But in 2022, never. The entire <laughs> premise that he has set up this on-campus like business relationship with this nerd who does everything for, for him. 
Okay, so one thing that I do want to get into, I'll, I'll say that most of the characters did seem like college kids, but this one kid, was it that Jake and all his friends are seniors and this kid is a freshman? He looked like he was 12, like the, the nerd who gets bullied. So I think the nerd who gets bullied, and it doesn't go into it in this movie, I think he's probably a kid that was way over smart for his grade, skipped a few grades, and went to college early. I, I grew up in Southern California. This happened, I knew multiple people that this happened to. So I think he's just like an early riser, way smart for his age. Maybe he's like a 16 year old and Jake and his friends are 21 or 22. So that brings me to another point and maybe this is just a California thing. Who has lockers at their school? Was he going, was this at college or was this at, he's going to a high school out? Like it just, I assume because he lives in New York and his dad mentions like, I let you go to school out in California. It is at college. But then he's in a locker, like they still have lockers? Yeah, I will say, I don't remember having lockers in college. No, I, I did, I did I for athletics, but I did not have like a book locker. For... I explicitly remember, we did not have lockers. The only lockers that they had were in the, I think, and I'm probably gonna get someone telling me that I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that our college had like community lockers that while you were in the, the university center, which was like the main campus building, I think there were some general lockers that you could like, I don't know, put a quarter in or something and just like store something for, for the day. I think they're definitely in college. I mean, that is an ode to a late 90s, early 2000s house party, which were f epic, so good. I don't know if you grew up in Virginia, but California, that was completely in line with what used to happen. I also will say that the, so moving into the, the storyline a, a little bit, the girlfriend says that she wants to go home for a traditional Christmas. Allie her, is her name. She wants to go home for a traditional Christmas with the snow and the gingerbread cookies and she lists all these things. And she's like, my parents are gonna be so upset. And I'm just like, I feel like if you're also from New York and you decided after school, after high school, you were going to go to college in Southern California where there's surfing and warm weather and it's gorgeous all the time. Is, are you nostalgic to go home for your Christmas? Yes, I think so. So I did not go away to school. Well, I was in Southern California, so a couple hours away from home, but people who came out to California for school absolutely went home for Christmas. And I think even being from Southern California, that's something that I used to yearn for as a kid. Like I never had it, you know, Christmas was full of sunshine and palm trees and the beach, but going to the snow, doesn't everyone want a white Christmas? I, I just being from Southern California, I think that's totally within the realm of absolutely people wanted to go home. I guess it, it, it seems to me like someone who was like, I wanna go year round to this school that is not only on the other side of the country, but south enough that it is beautiful all the time, that then you're like, oh, but I, re like, I love going home and having the snow and having all this other stuff. I don't know, I, I guess I just don't relate to 
to that nostalgia. But you didn't go far away from home for school, right? No, and my parents also moved out of our childhood home the so, first year I went to college. So did you go home for Christmas? Like, what did you do over Christmas break? Because it's like six weeks long. I lived at school. Really? Yeah. So you didn't, you just stayed on campus during the whole winter break? For most of it. Oh, there's no way. The only reason that I was at school during winter break was because I played a sport. Mm. So I had to be there. We were in season. That was our hell month. But So in talking about, uh, I wanted to go back the the bullying thing um, that would not, it wouldn't work in a movie today. Um, and I know it's a bit unfair to compare a movie made 24 years ago to what could be made today. But another thing that I found ridiculously over the top was the fact that, and I still have no idea whether they were actually friends, this other character, right? We mentioned him, in the, mentioned him in the summary earlier. This kid, Eddie, who is this other student who goes to school with this couple who is just ever-present, always around, always at the right place at the wrong time, and he is constantly, like, giving off rapey vibes. He is constantly... <laughs> the like, Ed Man! He's sexually, Sexually assaulting or borderline sexually assaulting Allie throughout the whole movie. She even sets up the entire car ride with a a speech about, like, I will... She uses the word slug, which I find to be maybe one of the most 90, 90s words ever. But she's like, I'm going to punch you if you do any of these creepy, horrible things. And he does so many of them. And she only punches him once. And I'm just like, this... You couldn't pass this off. Like, that would be... He would be so far removed from a movie today. I, I will say, being critical about the script, there's no way she would have gone home with him. And what are the odds that they all live in the same small town in New York, that they all went to college in Southern California, and they're all driving home... Not to mention the fact that he gets one plane ticket home to New York that his dad buys. And then he trades that in for two tickets to Cabo San Lucas. And then that becomes two tickets back to New York. So I just have an issue because I can get on board with Cabo San Lucas because that's really close to Southern California. So maybe you can trade one cross-country ticket to one hour flight to Cabo from Southern California. But that, those two tickets don't get two tickets back to New York. Yeah, and, and apparently this all happened through a travel agent. So I do remember his dad making some comment uh, when he was on the phone with him that he was like, yeah, I talked to my travel agent and they said that the, they said that the uh, ticket was traded in and that their whole system like went crazy and I'm just like okay so is this little young nerd just like committing wire fraud like what is happening back in the day where you had to go through a travel agent ticket to book a flight because online I mean it's 1998 so there was online stuff but it was I in feel, its infancy I feel like this kid because he got locked 
that last time he got locked in the locker and then we never hear from him again. I feel like the sequel to this movie on his storyline is the social network. And that kid is actually Mark Zuckerberg. Oh, I like that. That's how I think that this, it, he's just angry at the world and all the jocks. And then in the social, like he, he finally gets he got out. locked in a locker for yeah. three years. He gets <laughs> out and is like, you know what? I'm going to start, I'm going to start this face mash thing. <clears throat> and that's the, that's the sequel. So I'm calling it right now. The social network is the sequel to I'll be home for Christmas. So, okay. The, I just still feel like that it's unlikely that Jessica Biel's character gets in the car with the Ed man. And of course he would show up because he has those creepy stalker vibes. Yeah, I mean, this seems like it was all part of his plan to, to show up and have her go along. What I know, but he would have known that Jake wasn't showing up because he brought him into the desert. I just don't know how he knew that Jake was supposed to be taking, like they were getting on an airplane and they made those plans on their own. So how does Eddie know about all that? That's fair. That was just a bizarre coincidence um, that we just have to hurdle over. So Jake is in the desert. He goes to, he meanders through Vultureville to this little tiny place. Oh, one thing that I, I know, so they're calling, and I get this is the time, <clears throat> it's, it's 1998, but she calls him to find out where he is and gets his voicemail. She call he then calls her from his this random gas station and gets her voicemail. And I'm like, who are y'all calling each other's dorm rooms? Because you're never in your dorm rooms. I mean, I can get on board though, because as of 1998, I did not have a cell phone yet. No, of course not. So they're not calling cell phones, they're calling dorm rooms. And they're just leaving voicemails. And then it's just relying on, I mean, I guess there were beepers also in this movie. So, But I think back in the day, you used to be able to call a number and to check, check your, voicemail. your voicemail. God, that was a long time ago, huh? <laughs> like, it, it really was. I, I feel like there was some very poor planning, but that's what kind of got this whole mishap started. Let's talk the old ladies. So the old ladies heading to Vegas to the Tom Jones concert. Give him a ride. Totally sympathetic. He lays it on thick. I mean, JT's character is an epic con man throughout this entire movie. But he lays this fake story on thick. They give him a ride. And then they kick him out of the car because he, he throws up. He gets car sick. Oh, and the line. The best, best line of the movie. One of. Top three. Imagine yamming in my sister's handbag as she kicks him out of the car. I just don't, I don't see these people being like, oh my gosh, we're definitely going to give this poor kid, this total stranger, a ride along this huge long highway. But then being callous enough to be like, nope, get out. You threw up in my handbag. Yeah. How dare you? So then he meets Nolan, the world's most clueless uh, thief, which... I don't, I don't understand how a person could steal a van's worth of products when he borderline murders like 14 people on the highway <laughs> while he is practically laying on the floorboard. Trying to find a tomato. A tomato. It's, oh, it's disgusting. And, but 
that is an ode to the 90s. I don't know if your parents ever had a car that had just fast food, trash. Yes, on, tons of stuff on the floor. Know, but like, I'm not picking up a tomato to eat it off of that floor. I mean, that was pretty gross, but I also, given this character and how overly dumb they make him. Oh, it's right along with, in his character development, I I can get on board with it. I think what bothers me about the whole thing is when he picks the tomato up, it's clean. (laughs) Like, it's not dirty at all. And I'm like, what an opportunity for the director to be like, no, we should definitely, at least the prop guy to be like, here's a tomato. And Let's we put, put some sand on it. Put some sand on it, some dirt, some hair, right? Give him something to like wipe off so you can really be like, ooh, gross. But you're like, no, that tomato actually looks pretty clean. That, that's a pretty sanitary. And that van was so disgusting. I would even say, like, if something falls in our car and we have dogs, so. That's it, game over. There's definitely disgusting. I don't care. Three second rule. It doesn't matter. It does not apply. It's disgusting. If it hits the. The floor of the car, even if we just vacuum clean the car, I'm not eating anything off of the floor of the car. And this van was a hundred times worse. Yeah. So then he, so they get pulled over by the world's stupidest officer uh, on earth. But Officer Gorgeous, nonetheless, he reminds me. You thought he was gorgeous? (laughs) He is a good looking, like. Overly good looking for a cop, right? Remember that time though that we got stopped because, like the, our license plate light went out in the middle of nowhere, Kansas. Yeah. And it it was like one o'clock in the morning, and this yeah, guy, America's Next Top Model. Oh man, <laughs> America's Next Top Model. That this is kind of. I mean, I'll give it to you. America's Next Top Model was a twelve out of ten. This guy is more like an eight and a half. I'm but still baffled. Still... I'm still baffled how that Greek statue of a man pulled the graveyard shift in Kansas, <laughs> Kansas. in bumfuck nowhere, Kansas. True story. He's pulling True people story. over. Pulling people over, and I'm just like, dude, I could literally cut glass on your jaw. Like you are so chiseled. He was a gorgeous man. Yeah. He was oddly. I'm like, what are you doing? Just move to LA. Someone yeah, just, will pick you up. Just sit on sit on a street corner. Someone will notice you. Like and Ryan give you a, Gosling a deal. level. Yeah. And and Ryan Gosling in Captain America. To to quote James Corden, talking about Ryan Gosling. Me looking at this police officer in Kansas, I my thought was technically we're the same species. <laughs> so true. Okay, so he gets pulled over by a police officer that is subjectively attractive. I did not find that uh, to be true. But he, I don't see how he doesn't see the, the, the elf hat, but everything else about Nolan reads bum. This teenager who is dressed in a Santa outfit, and they are in the world's skeeziest looking van. That they were just like full we of, full of KitchenAid. Yeah, and then we and then they get there, and he's just like, "No, that makes total sense that you would bring to a children's hospital 
like KitchenAid toasters, dustbusters, and toasters, and this is vacuums. exactly what these kids right a handheld vacuum. And all of the adults that are working at the children's hospital are just immediately on board. No security whatsoever. They're just immediately on board to bring all of these vulnerable children. And let's children. just talk about how many thousands, thousands of dollars worth of product is in the back of this van. I mean, that KitchenAid toaster today would retail as at 250 bucks. And they have like I've, 40 items. I would fail at prices right. I don't know how much any of this stuff costs. But I definitely, I don't get how the police officer just doesn't read that. But the, the, the pinnacle of his stupidity, well, I won't even say the pinnacle. This is one of the pieces that, this is, this is base camp, I guess, is when he's standing next to him on the phone and he's like, I don't want to. Uh, Nolan's calling his, I don't know, significant other, whoever, and he's saying, I don't want to fence stolen products anymore, and police officer's just right there, and I guess that that is part of the joke. So, well, there, so what happens is this little boy, the last little boy at the children's right. hospital, comes, sits on Santa's lap, and is like, I don't want this gift. Who's sitting just, in a wheelchair, by the way? Did you notice that? I did notice he was sitting in a wheelchair. A wheelchair that has been decorated. <laughs> but... So he's, this little kid is sitting on his lap going through, like, I just want to go home with my brother and my uncle. And Why is this kid's family, this was a children's hospital. Why is this kid's family not here? I don't understand. It's not a homeless shelter. It's a children's hospital. But Why were there not more parents present? <laughs> that's, okay, hole in the storyline there. But at that point, that's where all the men go soft and are like, I remember the meaning of Christmas because this little boy and they're all calling home. Also, that scene, I became very aware that that scene would not be able to happen because everyone nowadays would get on their cell phone and all separate to a different corner of the room. But these guys had to go stand at the phone bank. And of to course, stand next there to were other. four. Three. There, yeah, but of course, there would be multiple. What do you call there those kinds of. Pay phones. That's what they're called. Wow. <laughs> I had a moment. I'm like, what are those things called? You put the change in it. 1-800-COLLECT. Did you ever do that, though? So in middle school, sidebar, in middle school, my mom was never on time to pick us up, which should not shock you, um, being at my propensity to be on time for everything. Um, she was never on time to pick us up. What we would do, we would get out of middle school, we would walk down, there was a donut shop at the end of the road, and there was a payphone there, and we would call 1-800-COLLECT, and then it would say, state your name, and after the tone, would you ever state your name? Or would you say, hey mom, we're ready to be picked up, love ya, bye. Oh yeah, you totally cheat the system. <laughs> 1-800-COLLECT. I don't know if you know this, but it opened the line of communication between the two people. You just, it is assumed by the telephone company that you're not going to talk while the, you know, automated message is talking. But I learned very quickly that you can just talk over that. And so, really? oh yeah. And oh, I had no idea. Yeah. I, I used to call home from the payphones in my middle school and I would just talk over that person and I would just be like, Hey, I'm ready to get picked up. Uh, I'm going to be at blah, 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 or I'm not going to be, you know, I'm going to go over to Johnny's house today. And they, you know, and you could just talk right over top of it. Did you see, he calls collect in this, in this movie to his sister 
Well, he calls Collect home, and his sister picks up the phone. Oh, and then Tracy accepts the Collect call. Yeah. Yeah, what a good sister, though. She's pretty good. I well, like her she, Yeah, I mean, she gives up four years of birthday money to buy this well, kid a plane I ticket. Love, I love after that scene, Nolan's now driving back west. Jake is heartbroken over this news. Mr. Policeman is now going to get his wife back. Oh, he has a total stranger. Why does stranger. she work in, uh, like... Well, do, she moved. Do a, oh, she moved to Nebraska from Wyoming. Yeah. Okay, okay. So, so let's talk about this entire premise. Marjorie. He asked, he asked this police officer, asked a random stranger who... Albeit that he has just given away a bunch of stuff to a children's hospital. He really doesn't know anything about this guy. But the translation of he just gave a bunch of toys, not even toys, random household appliances to children. And somehow that's going to translate over to you should definitely help me get my wife back by going to see her. And, and she is... 300 miles away. Now, we obviously, as the viewers, know why Jake agrees to do this. But, like, he really is like, you're going to go 300 miles in my police car to go win my wife back while she's at work. And remember, the entire setup to this is she lives there because I cheated on my wife with my ex-girlfriend who I stayed out all night at a bar with and a bunch of witnesses. Like, a bunch of your friends saw you kiss Making out drunkenly, with your, right? Yep. And and she left you and moved 300 miles away. Whether it was because she moved with family or wherever, she moved 300 miles away to another state. And now you are going to send a random stranger dressed like Santa into her place of work to go beg for her back. Okay. Unlikely, however. When we were on our road trip from Colorado to New York, worst road trip ever, and we broke down in Kansas multiple times, how unlikely was it that Mr. Mann had a battery charger at his 10-acre property? All right, complete side note, this man pulls over, our, our truck breaks down on the side of of the road, and, and this is gonna be a very quick sidebar, and we'll get back to JTT's movie. We break down on the side of an off, we're able to pull onto an off ramp. This man stops with his wife. He is very uh, courteous, says he can help us with our battery. It seems like it's not charging. He offers to have us go to his ranch, which is about 15 minutes away, to charge our battery to get us on the road. Which maybe he's killing us. We definitely, definitely thought that he was going to take us there and kill us. I brought it up. I brought it up as we're following him. And Philip, this guy is like in his 70s, like yeah. late 70s. Philip's like, I think I can take him. <laughs> I was... I was a little concerned. I was like, this is the Texas the Chainsaw only reason, Massacre. The only reason I bring it up is because that day was so insane and creepy and okay. weird and kind. But, like, that's why I can get on board with this part of the movie because that happened in our real life within the last two years. Fine. I will give that Jake being the self-centered person that he is will go there and that being these Midwesterners – they think that people are nice enough 
to go 300 miles to help each other out. But I just cannot get over the fact that this woman is at work on, what is this, Christmas Eve Eve at this point, the December 23rd. The Eve and, of Christmas Eve. And she is, she is jam-packed. Like, she is borderline in the weeds. Filled restaurant. Okay, but can we, for a moment, what is this restaurant attached to a cow pen? Yeah, I saw the cows directly outside of the... It was Nebraska. I don't ask questions. <laughs> you, you could see that. And I have actually been to Nebraska. I saw. The, I would not go back. <laughs> I saw the cows outside the restaurant, and I almost wrote that down in my notes. And then I was just like, what am I going to say? It's Nebraska. Of course there's cows outside this restaurant. She was wearing a cow hat. Okay. The... The fact that she entertains a conversation with Jake, I'm like... Well, while standing at a table, just like, okay, hey... But I must say, I must say, sorry for cutting you off, but I've got to say that the, at least the female characters in this movie are written in a strong way that they're like, no, I'm not just going to take that. Like, this guy is a douchebag. Strong, if not borderline senile... This woman, please take us a moment to consider what this woman is, the, the premise. A Santa that she does not know has come here with her husband who cheated on her that she has moved 300 miles away from to get away from him. They have shown up in the middle of the night on Christmas Eve Eve while she is in the weeds at her restaurant and is begging her to get back with him. She has said in no Uncertain terms. No uncertain terms. Absolutely not. He is a jerk. He is an a-hole. And then Jonathan Taylor Thomas's character is like, let me let me explain to you my situation, but from like a third party perspective, and maybe that will help you see how you're somehow wrong. <laughs> but I love that she's like, this be... guy sounds like a jerk. <laughs> yeah, and she just stands at the table. Oh, but remember, this this is the pivotal part of the movie where this very completely breezed over piece of information comes out. And that is that his dad remarried, not started dating, married a woman after his mother died 10 months ago. 10 I, months later. They got married 10, 10 months, months after the mom died. Were they divorced? Yeah, they don't go into that. They just breeze right over that. Um, I feel in 1990 that that could have been a storyline that was absolutely true. 1998. Right. I, I think that men of 1998, if they had like a sick wife with cancer or something, right, you don't know how the mom dies. But... Ten months. Skeezy men. Yeah. Like. I, I didn't honestly think anything of it until he said remarried. Because I was just like, okay. I, I kept hearing them say stepmom, but I think in my head something. I was like, well, maybe they're just dating. I don't know why I didn't like really clue in to it is his stepmom. And I'm just like, yeah, his, his mom passed away ten months Prior to his dad getting remarried. Which, like, if they were divorced, that's not really a thing. So the fact that he's so upset by it makes me think that he was, they were, in fact, still married when she passed away. I think that they were still married 
when she passed away. But I, I just think at that time, guys cheating on their wives was just a lot more wildly accepted. I, and maybe it still happens now, but I think women are just a lot more likely to call it out and be like, yeah, you suck. Like, I, it, there's, there's so much. We could probably do an entire episode on the father in this movie and, and all the things that I wrote down about him. But there's several other points that we got to get to. So two things that we definitely need to talk about. One is this Santa parade uh, or the Santa uh, 5K. Wait, no, you got to back up because we have to talk about Edelbrook. Oh, where they stop at the Bavarian Village? First of all, Village. I, the Bavarian Village. I was at one of the greatest lines of the movie. I think it's totally Eddie. What is it? Like over the top and what I, I wrote it down. Oh, yeah. I think it's totally Eddie. It's completely cheesy and trying to be cool. That, that is a good one-liner. Oh, I love that. Um, and the, the honeymoon suite that they, like, play the angel music of, like, the, ah, we're walking into the honeymoon suite. And, by the way, that kiss under the mistletoe. I would not allow, yes, we will get to that. I would not allow my smoldering corpse to stay in that haunted room. I would be beyond creeped out. And here is the difference between you and me, because I looked up Adelbrook to see if it was a real place. So, so I was like, I. we should go. No, hell no. <laughs> I, I would rather say, go bungee jumping. I, but it does remind me a little of like the Christmas markets in Germany and the Netherlands. And which, by the way, if you want to plan a trip, Christmas markets in Europe, in so many European cities, are so awesome. And that's what that Bavarian village reminded me of. It's like Christmas markets in Europe. In the middle of Iowa. So <laughs> were they in Iowa? They were. Point? I looked it up. It was in the middle of Iowa. And there's a reason that I looked up all of these places because uh, one thing that I did want to get to was the time. So you were talking earlier about the movie magic having to do with these, this plane ticket cost, the, the math. So I looked up several things, uh, one of which was he finally meets up with them, with Eddie and Allie in Edelbrook at this Bavarian village, which is in Iowa, right? And then the next morning, or not the next morning, but he, he arrives from Nebraska to this place on the bus, which also we need to talk about how he stole a bunch of people's shit on that bus. <laughs> and made a so unbelievable. Liver. So, so this time magic, right? They go from Eddie drives them from Edelbrook to outside, what he says, outside of Madison, which is where he has the 5K. I looked that up. That is at least a three-hour drive. Then he gets his sister to give him this plane ticket, which gets him to the airport. Eventually, he sneaks onto an airplane, which is a whole different conversation. Pre-9-11 security, him just, Santa just walked into the cargo hold. Uh, don't even worry about it. So he gets on this plane. I looked it up. A Madison... Wisconsin to New York City to JFK flight is almost seven hours. So between the takeoff and all of that stuff, it's that's almost hours? yeah, it was almost seven hours, and it's farther than you think. Wow! 
But I'm just so confused because he goes, he has this three-hour trip. There's no way it's seven hours. I don't know. I looked it up. It was either it's a slow plane or. No, there had to be a stop. There had to be a stop. He still flies. He goes, he drives from Iowa to Wisconsin, flies from Wisconsin to JFK, then takes a train from JFK, which is on the south side of Long Island, on the south side of Brooklyn, or it's in Queens. So to he go takes further that. Further than New Rochelle. He finally that's gets like kicked off of. Yeah, he finally gets kicked off of the train in New Rochelle, and then hijacks a a horse and carriage to go to Larchmont, and I'm, and all of that, and he arrives in enough time to purposely wait several minutes, and I'm just like, how much time was in this day that he was able to do all of that? I agree. They they should have made it an extra day. But let's talk about the 5K. First of all, I love, I, I wanted to run a turkey trot. You know this. I want to run a Santa 5K. Okay, I'm not you, winning it. You wanting to run a Santa 5K is one thing. JTT wanting to run a Santa 5K because I get it. The, he needs to win this money. But no one in this town can beat him. And then also the person who wins every year is the mayor. <laughs> I'll agree. Everyone just is letting this guy win. Also, what I can't get over is the Kenyan in the skinny Santa suit. Who just runs into. Runs into a sign and that's <laughs> the end of his I love, career. Of I love the idea that they go out of their way to point out that he is Kenyan. Which I'm like, okay, so you're you're making a stereotype of this guy, of this entire uh, group of people from this country who are notoriously... But they are fast at running. They're notoriously great runners. They are extremely athletic. But still, still, the idea that the mayor of this town and probably out of shape, party hard... JTT's but did you catch? Character. Did you catch the one Santa at the start of the race who's shoving a donut in his mouth? I get that. <laughs> at one point in the race, there's like cookies and and milk. Loved it. Go on. So JTT and the mayor are like neck and neck with this Kenyan runner. I just that's where I'm just like I'm I'm like no he would have won that by ten minutes. He Absolutely. Beyond beat you. I, I agree. And even if he would have run into the sign, fell down, he would have stood back up and still won the race because he was that far ahead. Right. Like it it seemed to me that a lot of people just really don't care. I thought it was crazy that if you notice as he's running, as JTT's running, they keep showing people on the side of the race not running. Like so many supporters of the Santa race in this small oh, town. Oh, that I'm not. I'm talking about the the state of being of these supporters. Wisconsin again, movie theme stereotype. Every character. There was a lady who just falls out of her chair. She's just sitting there. They run past her and she just falls out of her lawn chair. I missed that. Then there's a group of old people that are giving out cookies. And I love milk that part while they're running, and I'm just like. Y'all were like, hey, what are the really bad stereotypes of Wisconsin? I don't know. They're all fat and lazy and probably drunk at times and just super uh, disorganized and but, clumsy. But it's, it's movie magic like this 
that makes me believe that living in Wisconsin would be enjoyable, which I'm pretty sure by anyone's measure that it's not. It's very cold there. It's very cold there. The, it is. They kept giving the references day, to the weather. The day before the day before Christmas and everyone is just kind of out. No, Madison, Wisconsin would be freezing. Well, yeah, he said he was just outside of Madison, Wisconsin, but I I feel like every time you hear anything about the weather, it's like Wisconsin is always like we got 14 feet of, of snow. snow. And in the last three hours. Yeah, and it's negative 28 here. But we're all out. There's Everyone in this town is supporting this race. Yeah, we're all completely fine with going for a run. We're good. No one has gloves on. No hats. No, barely any jackets. I mean, so there are definitely things like that in the movie where it's like, oh, so, okay. So he gives the money back. Somehow this random taxi driver knows where the mayor lives. Uh, because oh, every I wrote that driver, down too. I'm yeah. like... Just randomly drives him to the house. And also, this this house is way underrated for where a mayor would live. Well, like, I don't know. It's a small town. Yeah, I mean, you'd think that the mayor would live somewhere else, but I don't know where mayors are supposed to live. So let's back up, because we actually missed the part where he was on the bus from Nebraska to Iowa. This is an overnight bus, right? Because they have driven to this dinner on Christmas Eve Eve, and he arrives in the morning. So he is having a conversation throughout the entire night of this little, you know, this, this bus ride from, Iowa, from uh, Nebraska to Iowa. Everyone on the bus is awake. Here's my thing. He starts to look around and very MacGyver-ish. He's like, how can I get this bus to pull over? There's a child with crayons. There is a man with a cooler. And then the man sitting next to him is, is he putting raw meats. He's putting what is that he's sandwich? Putting barbecue sauce on a sandwich that looks like it's raw. It looks like it's raw steak. Nope, that's not even where I draw the line of having a problem. I have a problem with the next scene is him writing in crayon. I cannot stress this enough. He is writing in crayon. Organ donor, like liver, needs to go to alley in Adelbrook, Iowa, and I'm just like, and then they, they open it, and I'm just there thinking, They're like, going, is it real? And then that, they open it. No, that man, that man was literally putting barbecue sauce on it to eat it, and I'm just like, how did he coax this man, who's about to eat this burger with no bread, he's just holding it in his hand, how did he coax him, convince him, and be like, yo, yo don't eat can that. I just... Can I just borrow that? Just and also, right, can I also borrow this other man's cooler? And then can I also borrow this little kid's crayon? And then he legitimately... Well, I feel like the con artist, he just waited for everyone to fall asleep. No, but and then... then he kicks the lady and has her look at the thing. And this idiot beyond idiots, I'm sorry, but they were just like, oh, Midwesterners must be stupid because they wouldn't be able to tell that a crayon... That they were just right on the top of this igloo cooler liver donation, like liver transplant. And furthermore, furthermore, everyone on the bus just gets totally on board behind G.I. Joe, who's about to like pull this bus over. That that the guy who owns the cooler, which I swear was the same guy that opened it and goes, well, is there anything in there? And then they open it and go, yep, it's in there. And they He's go, not like that's that looks 
strangely familiar. That igloo cooler looks just like the one that two minutes ago this guy just borrowed from me and or maybe stole from me. And also the idea that none of these people know what an actual heart looks like, that they would confuse a human heart for a piece of meat, ground meat with barbecue sauce on it. Okay, I will say if we're coming from the place of being critical about this movie, you have made a couple of decent points. My, my But it issue... is still, for the genre, still, this okay. movie is top notch. Okay, I will get on board with people being done enough to be like, okay, or it's just, it's, it's movie, defending the movie of People are just like grossed out. It's a heart, whatever. Okay. Seriously, how did he convince this man who was about to eat this bunless meat patty? He was about to consume it. He's staring at it with his mouth open. He convinced him to give it to him in order to put it inside of this cooler. And then woman on bus, as I'm sure she was probably billed as, old woman on bus, looks at this cooler and goes... Yeah, no, that seems completely legit. This, it, I mean, and they it show it. must be. They show and then the people on the bus are chanting. Yeah. Adel, Allie and Edelbrook. <laughs> but, okay, so and we fast just forward. There. Oh, and she just gets on the bus, by the way. She just gets on the bus to go home to New York. She just gets a free ride. She gets on the bus. No, no because she, she took his spot. And by that point... All right, I can get on board with that. By, by that point, the people of the bus were like, how dare you? We'll let her Your on. trickery is... Then Eddie and JTT are having a good moment. Um, yeah, and then he pulls off the and road. Then and then he's like, like no, 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 I'm, I'm not this good of a guy. Which, love that part. I'm like, I'm pretty sure. He's like, my reputation basically can't afford to do something nice. And I'm like, I'm fairly certain that your reputation thus far, that doing one nice thing for him is not going to overcome the ridiculous douchebaggery that has transpired thus far. That is 11 a.m. And then I don't know what time that is. Right. So going back to the movie Magic of Time, he then has to run a 5K not get sweaty at all, win. Almost leave town, come back to the mayor's house, have a couple minute conversation, call home, have that conversation, somehow get to hitch the a airport. ride. How yeah, does he get needed, a ride to the airport? There, what just, is there needed to be another day and then I could have bought into the timeline. But I love the whole password thing. And I do agree. Pre-9-11 at the airport, None of this shit happens. But the, but the airport definitely Today. draws a line at you can't get on this plane without an ID. I do like that they've still pushed for that. Yeah. The issue that I have is that the where the dogs go in the cargo hold is not pressurized. Like, that's why I feel so bad for dogs that have to fly that aren't in the cabin, right? If they're down in the luggage bin... It's not pressurized. That, that's why dogs can end up dying. Um, this dog did not die in this case, but JTT would have. <laughs> like, he would have froze and not been able to breathe. But if we can get over that part of the movie, 
Yeah, he arrives in he arrives at JFK on the tarmac, gets out by letting these people's dog go and run around. And the thing I don't like about the train is that first of all, he wouldn't have been able to get on the train in the first place without a ticket. Well, they check fine. your ticket. You Let's... can get on the train, but they check your ticket on the train. But he made it from JFK all the way to New Rochelle. There would have been like five or six stops. Or more. They would have, They would, I feel like they would have Because JFK's him. in Brooklyn, right? Yeah. Yeah, so you have to go, what do you go? Brooklyn, you're going to take the train, I think into, train Manhattan, into Manhattan. Yeah. And then you're going to ride all the way up the, we used to take that line to get back to the Bronx. Yeah. What line was it? The Q? R train? Q train? Well, he take, he's taking the commuter train out. But that wouldn't like have gone Amtrak. to New Rochelle. He, well, yeah, well, he's taking like Amtrak. He's not taking. So he's a, going basically Brooklyn to Penn Station, Penn Station to New Rochelle. I don't know. He is somehow making it through by just as far as he can get. Gets out, climbs on top of a woman's car who has her son in the car and is banging on it, telling her to go straight and not to turn. And she is completely oblivious to a man being on. Top of her car. And he's like and MacGyver. I gotta throw myself off of the car. And then he just happens, happenstances to run into the New Rochelle Christmas Parade. Yeah. Now, can we just say that this is a quality Christmas parade? Also, the reason that I was so excited for our first date. Of the 12 dates of Christmas to go to that parade, which was terrible. Yeah, the Parade of Lights in Denver, by the way, anyone listening, if you ever have a chance to go to that, highly unrecommended. Just, <laughs> just skip, it. skip it. It's the worst. So, anyways, he runs into this parade. He's able to steal the horse and carriage. He goes by Ali's house. Apparently, they grew up around which, the corner from which each let's other. Not, let's not forget the fact that a horse and carriage are extremely valuable, and that is absolutely grand larceny, which is a felony. Oh, and if you're going to go and do that in Central Park, which is, like, they're not in Central Park, but even in New Rochelle, it's going to cost you $300 for 30 minutes on a horse and carriage ride. So, yeah, anyhow, grand larceny. But he finally makes it home. Dad is going to give him the Porsche. Gets the car anyway because he's only a couple minutes late. Even though even though his dad would not wire him any money and was like, nope, this is the deal. I don't give a shit that you're stranded but in the middle of the country. now you've earned the Porsche because I see you in person and I haven't seen you in por- person in four years. And I'm just so happy to have you home for the holidays. Things that we did not get to this episode. The wonderful 1990s costumes yeah the dad jeans that are now on sale today at h&m for women to wear which is pretty spot on of the dad jeans and the ugly sweaters all right favorite character favorite line my favorite character has got to be it was going to be nolan but then i forgot about this other character and he instantaneously he has probably the shortest speaking role in the whole movie uh, the little kid 
when JTT is in the bathroom at one point and he asks this little kid in the bathroom, which version of Ho 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 is the best one? And the kid, without missing a beat, summarizes, breaks down, and gives him great answers, which is like, the first one is for little kids, like my little sister, gives him a perfect example. The second one is for bigger kids, like me and my friends. Again, immediate objective example. And then he's like, and the third one is for if you want to scare people and have them run away from you, (laughs) screaming. And then he just is like, yeah, whatever. And then just leaves the bathroom. Just, Just that's it. That was my favorite character, and that's my favorite line. I... I'm going to say, I'm going to go with the kid who gets stuffed in the locker who is never saved. Mark Zuckerberg. That's I, what I'm naming him. I also will say that I love the dancing Santa hat at the beginning in the credits of this movie. We're making that a character. Yeah, I, I love that part of the movie. I, I still think my favorite line, my favorite line is, love that kid's line. I love the yamming in my sister's handbag. Love that line. And I also love the line that Jessica Bill says to Eddie of being like, I think it's totally Eddie. <laughs> um, star rating. Uh, I'm going to give this one uh, three and a half stars no out of five. No way. Yeah. Five out of five stars for... Wow. For a Christmas movie, this is one of the best. Absolutely highly recommend. Watch it. Get in the Christmas spirit. Have a laugh. It is a good one. Huge shout out to NSYNC for their end credits uh, Happy Holidays song. And also huge shout out to the 22 people who listened to episode one of our pod. Loving it. Very much appreciate it. Uh, That is the end of this episode. Look for the next show. We're going to put the movie poster out very soon, uh, here within the next couple days, and we will see you next time. See you next time.